We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If Arsenal are thinking about coming back to America, this would be as good a time as any. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. <clears throat> That's right. I am back in the land of humidity, mosquitoes, and road traffic. And I am ready for the Arsenal to come back to the United States now that I'm here. So forget that last tour and all the people that had a brilliant time on it and all that stuff. That's over. That doesn't count. What counts now is that I am here and I am ready for Arsenal to be here. So Arsenal, please come back. Um, and especially given that, oh, by the way, I did the math. You beat Chelsea 4-0. You beat Sevilla 6-0. Palace 8-0. You know that that means we know what's coming for that second game of the season. That's the 10-0 we've been waiting for. So finally, finally, that is coming. And I, I for one, am excited for it. I don't know what my outro will be after it happens, but <clears throat> I think we will enjoy it happening nonetheless. So, Originally, we were going to do our season preview prediction podcast today, and seemed like as good a time as any, expecting, you know, a dreary-ish, maybe Emirates Cup. I mean, you know, the players jog around a little bit, they play a half, everybody claps, it's a nice day out, but do we really need to cover it? And then we only went and scored six and played um, football that, as I've been saying all summer, is a clear indication that we're going to win the league. So I do think it has to be covered. We can even touch on the um, Community Shield a little bit if we want. And the fact that, obviously, uh, Erling Holland is a bust, that is the discourse, because football Twitter is a smart and good place, and everybody should absolutely be there. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to push the season prediction preview pod, whatever you want to call it, to later in the week. You'll still get it. We'll still publish the results so that you can lampoon us and make fun of us as you do uh, for how wrong we were because we said we'd come second on 82 points when actually we finished first on 97 points. But, you know, you get the idea. <clears throat> so that's coming. And coming uh, early in the morning tomorrow, a dedicated pod to celebrate the Lionesses win uh, in the Euros. And if you are a Germany fan, certainly my condolences. But, you know, England deserved to get one over on Germany and Wembley. It has happened uh, before, and so it happens again. And... 
So uh, Clive and Tim are going to do that pod, and so we're not really going to touch on that today, but you're going to have it tomorrow, and that'll be on the main feed for everyone. Um, We are also going to have an all-or-nothing podcast series starting this week. Wednesday, you will get a preview. Uh, We will be discussing the first three episodes, not with spoilers, but with what's coming and what we think of it. We're going to try to get an interview with some of the production team there. So we're really going to try to have fun with this because I think it is sort of unprecedented access to the club even if it is manicured, that will be fun for us. So that's everything that's coming your way. It is a brand new season. We won't have a brand new song till after the World Cup, but the season is upon us, and I am so excited to share it with you. I I say it every year, um, but this community and and sharing this podcast and this club and these experiences together is one of the joys of my life. My wife and children have gone out for the day, so I can say really the joy of my life, right? I can say that. Um, And just as a final point, there is a giant elephant in the room in the world of Arsenal, a topic that um, maybe in your WhatsApps or your DMs or on your Twitter timeline and out there, and there are people that have asked when we will discuss the topic that is this elephant in the room. And I just want to be clear that legally, it is very, very clear and has been made very, very clear to us that we cannot discuss it right now. We simply cannot. Um, if it, that changes and time comes when we are able to, uh, then obviously we are going to tackle any issue that is relevant um, to Arsenal and important and hopefully handle it in the way that we handle all topics I like to think about thoughtfully and in a way that adds to the discussion. But right now, not able to do that. And if you need more information from me personally on that, please contact me personally, and I am happy to explain in greater detail to the extent that that is uh, appropriate and necessary. So, Tim's on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. All right, so let's get into it. I mean, the the, the first place to start is a 6-0 victory over Sevilla. And, like, look, they got rid of their best defenders, and they looked like it a little bit. But once again... Clive, we are seeing, I said it on the instant reaction, I said the the foundational building blocks, building process of this project is over, and now we're in the tweaking phase. And what I mean by that is, this, this is a team that now looks well put together, beautifully assembled at all positions, they know their role. They know their formation. Two, three, five in possession. How we tr- uh, how we press. You actually shared a tweet from um, EBL on Twitter. You're breaking down how we press, and it is so yeah. organized. Sevilla had no answer for it. And for me, the story of this preseason, again, and I hate to harp on it, is the way we are squeezing the opposition into their defensive third, choking off their exits, and creating chances by doing it. And I'm curious if that is, once again, the story of a game for you. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stories in this game, and one of the reasons why I, I like going to preseason is you you learn things. You really do see what the the teacher's telling the the pupil because they try to implement it, and it's a it's a sneaky preview into lovely state football where you can learn the patterns, and you can learn the patterns on off the ball, and so within those patterns, I think there's there's number of roles developing, and. And I think this is really, really beyond interesting. You know, um, how we view people is different. I'll give an example. So um, Ben White, for example, right? So he's playing in this, he's nominally a right back. And when he's yep. out by the touchline, he can have a few issues if he doesn't control the duel early enough, in my opinion. But let's not pretend he's a right back anymore. He's a midfielder. That's the truth, right? So you mean in terms that's of where he's being deployed? Yeah, uh, he's a midfielder. He's now an, in, yep. an inverted, and he's a midfielder, and he's being judged as a midfielder, fast support player that underpins, takes away, 
transitions and provides good service forward. The same for Sinchenko on the other side, but the only thing that's different to him is he's a little bit more comfortable on the touchline, but he's super comfortable in centre midfield. And I said in, on the instant reaction, when I mean centre midfield, I mean centre midfield. I'm not talking left half space. I'm talking yeah. centre midfield. How we squeeze the pitch into one half, we also squeeze the pitch into one half, is the word vertically, you know, this, I mean, we squeeze yep. right the way yep. over. And then yeah, we contract and expand incredibly quickly. And we maintain position in the small spaces, but we stretch people out into big spaces. When they get sucked into us to try to come and get us, Ramsdale just pings over the top to Martinelli. Martinelli takes it out of the air with his God-given talent, and, and off we go, right? And um, Saka was doing the same thing. It's almost like an accordion, right? We are literally playing. It's so well-structured. <laughs> I cannot tell you. It's so well coached. I'm sitting there and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I'm I'm a podcaster. So let me have a look at this. Let me see if I can find something wrong to enlighten our listeners with. Um, I'm looking and I'm looking leave, and I'm finding... Leave that finding, to me. Leave yeah. finding something wrong uh, to me. I got you covered I, there. Come on. <laughs> I, found, I found a couple of little things that were interesting, but nothing major. It was only the intention to do things right was so massively obvious, right? And it's... Well, I will say we look we look intense, we look young, we look fit, we look aligned, we look coached, and we have a desire in the top end of the pitch, which is night and day from what we had last season. And what we also have now is we have two defenders. We're, we're risking, remember the risk and war discussion we have earlier with Saliba yes. and Gabriel? We yep. have two defenders Dave, if they want to, if you want to raise them, we put pressure on the entry pass into our back third. Then good luck, good luck racing them, and um, and that's how Liverpool have looked for a couple of years, and that's exactly how we looked at the back end of our pitch, and it was very, very pleasing to watch. Yeah, it's it's brilliant, and Tim, I want to get into just a, a quick sort of side question that I have from this game because one of the goals comes from a Bukayo Saka penalty, uh, given away. Pretty ridiculously by Sevilla, <laughs> not necessary, but we will take it, of course. And Arsenal getting penalties is not a thing we want to get used to, but uh, it would be nice if it happens. I thought it was interesting that Saka took the penalty. And you can't read too much into preseason, but my presumption is that means that Saka is our penalty taker. It may seem like a, a weird place to go this early in the pod, but let's say you get five penalties in a season. You know, those five goals can be the difference between winning or losing game. I mean, Aubameyang misses a penalty against Spurs that means we don't win the North London Derby. We don't finish top four. And, you know, the whole trajectory of the club could look different if that if that goes. So, like, I mean, I'm wondering how you feel about Saka as the penalty taker. I, I think, on the one hand, giving him that responsibility can help push him forward, right? Um, make him feel like more of a leader in the team help him in front of goal, right? Have that confidence. My, my, you know, the manager trusts me to do this. On the other hand, you want to have the best player at it. And I tend to think in most clubs, there are penalty specialists, you know, someone who knows how to tow it in the top corner or someone who knows how to wait till the keeper goes first. Sometimes it's not even the player you'd think, right? There are some clubs where it's like their goalkeeper takes the penalties. It's just a very unique specialized skill. So I'm curious if you think that Saka being the penalty taker is important, significant, and, and how you think of it in terms of the quality of the decision. I'm I'm really glad you gave me this question because I've, I'm on record as saying I prefer penalties to football. Um, if I had my way, all games would just be penalty shootouts. 
Um, did did you ever was, see the MLS uh, overtime uh, yes. thing that they had? So I for people who are that. watching, yeah, who don't know that you'd give the player the ball at the halfway line and he would dribble it towards the keeper and the keeper could, you know, rush out. And it was basically more like an ice hockey penalty yep. situation where you had to try that. to score dribbling in from the halfway line. The keeper could do whatever he wanted to stop you uh, short of actually using like weapons and, you know, outside, <laughs> outside implements to strike. It just becomes open play, right? Yeah, like, exactly. That's they it. Get one the ball V one open play. Spot. And yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I love that. I, I love all that. And when I, when I played, like I always took penalties. Oh, interesting. I, I, I preferred taking penalties huh. to playing football. I prefer watching <laughs> penalties to watching football. It's it's a subject. Even um, as an England fan, that's that's surprising. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, just the technique behind it, the psychology behind it, right. it's, yeah. it's something I, I think about a lot. And and so I do think this is interesting. And Saka, you know, he took those penalties at the end of last season, and we saw him, you know, wrestle the ball off Martinelli because clearly Martinelli he wanted a piece of that action, and probably still does. And 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 I think I I do think this is significant right because there's an important balance here I'm really pleased that two of our 20 21 year old players are going no I want the penalty I want the penalty I want to be able to do this I want to score more goals I want my I want my goal involvements to go up I'm I'm pleased to see that and I think it's I do think it's significant that a young team like this you want like young players kind of showing some leadership without overburdening them. And that's the sweet spot you've got to hit. Because, of course, what else was announced just before this game, something I think we all knew was going to happen anyway, Erdegaard being captain. I think that's completely the right choice. That's exactly who I who I wanted. Um, I, I felt Erdegaard or Ben White, I think it should have been one of those two, but I slightly yeah. le- uh, lent towards Erdegaard. And so with Saka taking penalties... Like, yes, I do think that's a good thing for all the reasons you suggest. We want him to feel like a leader without burdening him with the armband. We want him to, you know, he wants, he's clearly conscious. I want my, my G plus A uh, up there. <laughs> he's looking at that. Yep. Great. But there is, and I'm not suggesting we're there yet or that we need to panic about this at the moment, but there is a fine line. And sometimes we saw it with Henri, we saw it with Fabregas. When Fabregas was taking the penalties, the free kicks, the corners, the throw-ins, you know, the captain doing the, to- you know, doing the program notes, like sometimes it can go too far. Now, I'm not suggesting yep. that, that that's what's happening here. And again, he's not like, if Saka had been made captain and then he was taking the penalties, I w- I'd be worried about that. I'd be like, whoa, whoa. Like, much, th- yeah. This can't just be the Saka team. It's got to be like, Saka can be the best player in this team. Um, and he probably is. But like, it can't just be the Saka team, you know? And and one of the things, as much as I hate to say it, one of the things that Spurs have got right, whether by by design or by accident over the last couple of years, you remember when Pep called them the Harry Kane team? Well, Son has come up more and more and he's developed his game. And so now they're the Harry Kane and Son team. Yep. Um, and, and that's, you know, you want to build that kind of collective responsibility. So th- there is a part of me that would like Martinelli to take the penalties just because then you've got Erdegaard's the captain, Saka takes set like corners and then um, Erdegaard takes the free kicks usually. And then, and, and you just build that kind of collective responsibility. But at this stage, yeah, more than happy for Saka to do it. He scored them all um, so far. And and you, like you're right, I don't think there's necessarily a penalty specialist in this team because 
we did. I mean, we did have one in Lacazette. Lacazette was brilliant at penalties, obviously not around anymore. I don't yeah. think Aubameyang was any good at penalties. I don't think he should have been on them. I felt exactly the same about Thierry Henry. I didn't think Thierry Henry was particularly good at penalties. I felt that that was, I'm the goal scorer. I'm the, like, I felt Lauren should have been taking Arsenal's penalties during that period. Didn't mm. particularly bother me, but it was just a small kind of incidental thing. And, and Pepe's brilliant at penalties, but obviously he doesn't start. So, you know, in, in the absence of that kind of specialist that you talk about, it kind of has to be someone, and I'm more than happy for Saka to say that someone should be me at this, at this particular moment in time. But, yeah, I, w- once he starts taking the throw-ins and if he gets the armband and stuff like that, I'll start to worry then. Yeah, it's weird, right? Because we have a very talented team filled with great players who I'm excited to watch and I think are very good at football. And yet... I can't think of anyone it clearly should be ahead of Saka just in terms of like technique or pure capability because like Gabriel Jesus does not have a great penalty record. <laughs> um, it could be Martinelli, but you're in the same boat there. A young player, right? Not totally proven. None of our midfielders jump out to me. I, I mean, I don't know how Odegaard would take a penalty. I mean, he's probably got the best technique of the group. Shaka, we know, would just hit it as hard as he could and party would miss the target. So also with Martinelli, he's not at, at this particular moment in time, he's he's still fighting it out with Smith Rowe, right? I do think yeah. your penalty taker should be uh, Saka's gonna stop most Every time games, fit, you know. Yeah. And and so fair, it's like captaincy, it's like it should be someone who knows that when basically when someone points to, what needs to happen is when the ref points to the spot, everyone needs to know who's taking the penalty. And with Saka, you get that. Yeah, to be fair, another guy that like I, I would suspect probably has the technique to do it, for example, would be Zinchenko. But is he in a battle with Tierney? I mean, not at the moment, because you know we don't think of Tierney as an option at the moment for obvious reasons. But Clive, let's stay on the captaincy thing for a minute. I, I have to admit, I am bored by captaincy discussion because sticking with my, my sort of shtick, I don't really get into some of the sort of leadership and culture stuff so much. Um, I do think captaincy mattered more in a in a bygone era. I think captaincy can matter now, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong about this too, I think it can matter with the referees because that's your mouthpiece to the referees. And so I do think there could have been an option to pick an England international to be captain. But to Tim's point, then you're looking at like a Saka and he's got so much responsibility on him already. It, it feels like too much. Um, it doesn't surprise me that Mikel Arteta, a former captain and midfielder, wanted to pick a midfielder. And if you're going to pick a midfielder, it's clearly going to be Odegaard um, for obvious reasons. And I, I'm curious how you think about him being the captain because I don't think he's a player who is who imposes himself in every single game. I, I think giving a player a captaincy not only has an impact on the team, but I think it can have an impact on the player. And so I think you want to give the captaincy to a player where you say they're going to help the team, but it will also bring out something in them that raises their game. And I can see this doing that for Odegaard, that extra bit of demanding of himself influence in every game. You know, and and to be fair, like, I actually think that might have made Shaka worse. I think Shaka's playing some of his best football for the club with less responsibility, both in terms of touches and emotionally, maybe. Um, Because some people, once they feel they need to be the hero they play outside of their capabilities. But maybe maybe with Odegaard, it lifts him. So where, where do you stand on Odegaard as captain and if it may have a, a benefit to his performances? Yeah, I agree with you. I think he's already... <laughs> I think he's got better since last season based on what I saw at the weekend. And I think it'll have a positive impact. We've also got the Swiss captain in our team, the Ukraine captain in our team. We have the Scottish captain stroke vice captain in our team. I know he's behind Robertson, but 
when he's not there, he's the captain of the team. And I think words, you know, discussions around leadership are disappearing. I think Gabriel plays like a leader. I think Ben White plays like a leader. Ben White would have been my second choice for captain. Um, if you saw the huddle pre-game at the weekend, it was Shaka leading that huddle conversation. I know the guard was in there. It's not a problem. We have a group of people. For those in the dressing room or read things like we do, <laughs> Rob Holding is also a very senior person in that dressing room, doesn't always play, part of the leadership group, takes responsibility in the group. So I, I don't see it as an issue. I think Odegaard may have been chosen based on his behaviours, basically. I think he's a, he's a model pro answer. Plain enough, I read something saying that when he was out of the team, he asked all the right questions. He's tactically astute. He's, he's tactically interested. He's a good communicator. Mm. After, the, after the first goal at the weekend, he went straight over to Arteta and they spoke, and it's obviously a tactical conversation about what to tweak and change. Uh, all, I, all I look for when I'm watching is a group that's aligned, uh, that understands what they're doing, and has good communication, and that's what I'm seeing. And when you have that, you don't really worry about who the, who's actually got the armband because you can see proper roles, responsibilities, and accountabilities on the pitch. That's the most important thing, Elliot, because it's is, a football match. Is it about match. coaching, though, too? Be, be, uh, in what respect? You, you have, right, you, well, so, so Arteta obviously is trying to coach a very specific style of play, Clive, right? I mean, this mm-hmm. isn't jazz. This isn't Arsene Wenger's jazz. This is, I mean... as structured as it gets in terms of the roles these players have. And so is it important, Arteta, to say, I want my captain to be someone who is of one mind with me, understands my system so that I, you know, if they can't hear me on the far side of the pitch, that player is going to tell him, hey, you need to step up two yards. Hey, you need to drop back. Hey, you're you're not, like, is, is it important for him to have sort of an assistant coach on the pitch as the captain because of how specific the system is and how important it is that the unit be working together in synchronicity for this system to work. Yeah. I think they have some certain pressing uh, systems, how they curve runs and how they shepherd people in certain Mm. areas, et cetera, which I think he has a really important role to play in. I think there are principles of play which are in place. What's allowed, how we, how we recycle the ball, how we go around, how we switch the point of the attack. I'm seriously, I'm telling you this, mate, you can literally watch what they're doing and you know where the ball's going next. But it's getting there in absolute, it's being fits there, and we've got people moving off, running off, supporting. I'm not sure if the, I, when I hear the word structured come from your lips, I sometimes, I hear, I, the next, the way I associate that in my mind, not my mind, but I'm where some people may associate that. It's structured, it's mechanical, it's it's a bit like that. I don't see I, it like I don't that. mean it that way, no. Yeah, I know but, you don't, but, but some people will. There's zones. You know, I mean, some people, we, we, let's be honest, some people are calling him George Graham. Some people said we need to let the creativity go, all the rest of it. All right, I'll tell you now, and I, we, we, we're doing very similar things last year. We've got slightly better defenders, more imposing. But when he gets, when he gets that top end, what we've got is a even more muscled Martinelli and even more muscled Saka and a fantastic centre forward. And suddenly all that structured build-up has got a wonderful bit of hope on the end of it. And suddenly we look different, you know, because those three guys, they're not messing about. Their intensity yeah. and rotation is incredible. And they were, I've never seen, I saw Sackett in the forward, Martin Elliott's in the forward, I saw Odegaard's in the forward. They, those four mean business. And so all the things that we were doing before, which we were doing better, I've now got much more of an, an end product. So I see structure, I see certainty, I see assurance, I see togetherness. 
mate, I can't stress this enough. I cannot, you know, and I know it's preseason. I don't care. Right. There's, there's, there's something happening there. And if that can be had some depth and to, to maintain the similar dynamics in the team, particularly around intensity and speed and top end, if we can have some depth there, a little bit of technical control in the center of the pitch for another day. We're yeah. all right. We're in good shape, yeah. honestly. So that's how I see it going. No, you're right. And look, everybody has different things they want from football, right? I mean, if you're Tim and you go to all the games, there's something you're getting from football that someone like myself who doesn't get to go to all the games doesn't get to have. Like when I'm in London and I'm at the game, what I want from the football is different than when I'm at home, you know, on my couch. Or if you're going to a, a pub to watch it with your supporters group, local supporters group, you may want something different. I've been very clear for m- many, many years that one of the things that I want from football is I want it to be enjoyable to watch. I want it to be aesthetically pleasing. And I will be more sympathetic to the manager and the players if they are playing football that I like to watch vis-a-vis the results than if it's you know really unpleasant and you're struggling through the 90 minutes hoping to get a result. Um, Clive, did you want to weigh in on that? I just want to add one more thing. I want to make sure I get this across appropriately, particularly around structure. I want people to realize this, and for people who don't realize this, and maybe people that do realize this, if we say, well, Clive, I know what you're talking about, but don't just think we football teams go out and play. They don't go out and play. Every team has structure to how they want to play. Every team has principles. Every team has build-up principles. What you do off the ball, when you lose the ball in transition, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, how you how you progress the ball in deep areas, when do you clip long, when do you go short, what are your actions, what are your triggers? Every team has this stuff. You know, so I want people to know that as a coach football team, and that's what, at the top level, that's what you do. And when you have these young men under extreme pressure, one of the things you can do as a coach is to relieve that pressure by giving them certainty of actions and certainty of what's successful, what success looks like, and what's not what's not good. I won't get that across. Structure is good. Don't see it as bad. It's, we we want more of it. We just need we want more good players <laughs> that no, can I t- work I t- in and outside of structure. Emery- we had this conversation under Emery where there were times when the players just didn't look like they really knew what they were supposed to be doing. And, you know, Terrera at the 10 and things like that. And whether, oh, he could have been good there. Like there were too many players too often that just looked like they didn't understand the instruction. The confusion was pretty easy to see on the pitch. And you'd see things that I know Emery wasn't telling them, hey, have all 11 players be in the left half space or the left or the left wing. Like that, that's not a strategy, but players were confused. And right now I think Arteta has created a system that what you can clearly see is a group of players that get it. They get it, and they're moving in synchronicity, and they're moving together, and it works. And, Tim, I mean, look, we may need another striker. We may need depth there. I just want to point out there's a guy in France I was watching, uh, I think just last night, good and build up, held the ball up in the middle of the play, busted his ass to get into the penalty box, got on the end of a cross, beautiful header in. Um, I, You know I'm, I'm bad with the pronunciations. Is Lacazette, Le- I think, is it. Alexander Lacazette, um, you know, he's on the older side, but I think just someone who could be a depth option. But yeah, Alex, where was that last season? Come on, mate. Um, but but Gabriel Jesus, it, like, it, it is, there are positions on the pitch that when you get them right, it's like a light switch going off. And he... He has been a light switch for us. Now, you could say, well, it's just preseason. And I get that it's just preseason, but if you evaluate it in terms of the impact it's having on other players and the way it's making us look in attack, the left side of our attack was a problem last season. 
And I put it down to Shaka quite a bit. I acknowledge that I felt that we didn't have, you know, the the same degree of creativity, um, the same progressive options from the left that we had from the right. I put it down to the fullback, of course, because Nuno Tavares, who, oh, by the way, also nutmegged someone and took their soul in a beautiful move making the, the rounds um, on Twitter uh, in his Marseille debut. But, like, you get Zinchenko out there and Shaq is out there, but they all look better because Gabriel Jesus is doing such good things. Look at Martinelli. He picks out that beautiful cross for, I guess, it's is it the second Jesus goal? But, like, that that's a beautiful cross that doesn't mean anything if you don't have a player that times his run, gets into that space, and has the ability to make that finish. So I can't get too much further in this podcast without once again praising Gabriel Jesus. He gets his hat trick on the day, and all the goals, I think, are show you something that's going to change the performances of players around him. He makes the rest of that attack look better. Yeah, absolutely. Both in the pressing aspect as well. Arsenal much, much better, and you could see that in this game. But also just for the wide players, for Martinelli and Saka, um, you know, I've said I've said many, many times, watch for that Jesus goal on the back post. That's his that's his favorite area to attack from either side. So I think we'll see that a lot this season. We'll see Martinelli chopping to the corner of the penalty area, putting that right-footed ball like we saw. We'll see that on the other side as well. We'll see Saka chopping onto his left foot, delivering that ball over to the back post. We'll see a lot of Gabriel Jesus goals like that. That's one of his favourite areas to attack. And you just, you just like, if you're one of those wide players, one of those approach players, creative players, whatever, you've got a moving target now to aim at, which, you know, and that, and that's, it's a virtuous circle because you either get to aim at him or once defences start working out, shit, Gabriel Jesus is going to be attacking the back post, then it might take someone away. So maybe that becomes a Martinelli shot. Maybe that becomes a Saka shot. Maybe it takes one, two defenders out their way and they've got the shot on into the far corner if they want it. It just opens up so many avenues for you when you've got that moving target. And look, you saw the first goal as well. Like It's just ridiculous to, you know, Jesus... Henri-esque, you know, taking the ball down, left touch line, touching it in field. And, you know, to your point, Elliot, Xhaka, you know, Xhaka does really, really well there from that point in a really good area. But look at what he's got to aim at. And when that, that I, I think that's the first Jesus goal, isn't it? Like mm. Xhaka doesn't necessarily, like Xhaka doesn't really, and, and this isn't a criticism of him, like he just puts it into an area and we score. Like, that's because there's people there. There's Martinelli there, you know, going for the cutback. There's Jesus attacking the six-yard line. There's just, there's bodies there, and that creates something. So Xhaka doesn't get the cross exactly right, but the goalkeeper gets a hand on it, and there's someone there. Like, it's, you know, this. none of this is, like, you know, you guys just had, like, a really good conversation around structure and things like that. And I think what we're talking about, to the point you made on the Instant Reaction pod, Elliot, is that, um, you know, you were talking about we're in a tweaking phase now rather than a, oh my God, where is this all going? How, how do we kick a football and who do we put on the pitch? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Essentially, since about December 2020, that Chelsea game when Smithrow came into the team, what you've seen is the structure and what we've been building towards is, okay, that's how we want to play. We need the players that can do it. And we've had to build that I mean, I say slowly, like quite quickly, like we've brought a lot of players in over two summer windows. So, 
you know, you could see the skeleton of the team there and then you bring Odegaard in on loan and then yeah. a load of guys come in last summer. But that was the light bulb moment, right? That was the, ah, th- this is how we want to play. Now we just need the players that can do it. And we're getting closer to it. And Gabriel Jesus is obviously a massive part of that piece. And you can just see already how much some of those players are enjoying it. Like I, I wrote an article last week about Martinelli. I think he'll pop this season because he will enjoy the fuck out of playing with a striker like Gabriel Jesus because his his G plus A is going to go up this season, right? His goals, assists. He'll get assists like that for Jesus. Jesus will make space for him so he can score himself, no problem. So all, all of those attackers who are on goal bonuses and stuff, lovely. They're getting more goal bonuses. I don't know whether they're on assist bonuses, but they're getting more of that in their pay packet this year, yep. no question. And so... You, you're starting to see these little kind of networks building um, already. And and Jesus, you know, look, the striker bit, that is the sun. Uh, you, you know, that is everything orbits around that, you know, everything orbits around that. And we saw yeah. that with Lacazette, and Lacazette did elements of that very well, but there are other elements obviously he couldn't do. Jesus can do them. Um, and so it's it's just it's just a virtuous circle for everyone in that attack. And Arteta spoke about Erdegaard as well, and he said Jesus will make Erdegaard better, and Erdegaard will make Jesus better because that through ball's on. And by the way, if Jesus does make a run and two defenders are shit scared of him and follow him, then it leaves Martinelli or Saka open. It's just th- this stuff, like the attack stuff, isn't complicated. The structure yes. that gets you the ball there, yeah like the conversation you guys were just having, that is a bit more complicated. That takes a bit more time. But once you get into like onto the edge of that penalty area, it's really, it's just about choices. It's about mm-hmm. movement and it's about stressing defenders. And that is something we just didn't, weren't able to do last season. And I'll tell you, I'm, I'm going to very, very safely say our record at coming from behind in games this coming season, I, I bet we beat the points record for that like before the World Cup comes around, um, which to be honest won't be hard because it's only like three points, but we'll, well, I think we'll do that pretty quickly. I have to disagree with you only because I think it's, and again, I expect this from you, but insanely negative to presume that we will be trailing in any of the games, but whatever, you know, you got to go where you go. No, you're right. Look, structure gets you to the final third. Players get you the goals. Like once you're in the final third, that's up to the players. And Pep has said that, you know, and, and Arteta has has referenced that in his own way. And I, I think, look at the number of sort of like scrappy kind of tap-in type goals we're getting in preseason, right? A deflection that falls to another player. Jesus busting his ass to get into the box onto a second ball to score it. Saka cleaning up, right? A rebound from a Shaka shot to like... That's happening because we've moved more people into the attacking third. We've pushed everybody up the pitch. We have players who have the energy and agility to get into the box, to press up, to stay really high up the pitch. And when those opportunities come to get the ball in the box, maybe we don't score the first opportunity, but there's someone there to clean up the second. I I, I wonder, I'd be curious, this is something that Scott could look into, I'd be curious to know last season how many goals we scored from moves that started with a shot that was saved, you know, or a deflect. In other words, like how many goals did we score from a deflection that fell into the box or a shot that was saved and we scored a rebound? Cause I, I bet it wasn't many, you know, I, I bet we didn't score a lot of goals in that way. We had to create really clean, clear goals. 
you need to be able to score those. You need to have five guys in the box when the ball is saved and someone taps at home. And we, we have that now. Clive, I want to get to the defense, but before we do, let's stay on Martinelli for a bit because if Gabriel Jesus didn't score an exponential number of goals from the previous game every next game, so I think he'll be on six goals against Palace, um, we'd be talking more about Martinelli, I think. Or maybe, you know, we should be talking about Martinelli because he's a reason why Jesus is getting these goals. Um, He's a player that I think has to show more this season than what he did last. Important to remember that last season was his first really fully fit season back from a pretty bad knee injury. And he wasn't a starter to begin the season. And our trajectory did start to improve once he became a starter. I think there are things he does that are maybe undervalued, but there are things he needs to add to his game. We certainly see the benefit of his pressing right now. And that contribution is going to matter a lot. He's going to have to get the goals. He's clearly going to get the assists, as Tim said. One of the moments of the game for me that stands out, though, is the assist for Enkedia. Because it's preseason, you're in front of a packed Emirates, you're going to win the game. No one's going to mind if you decide to try to round the keeper, take it yourself, get yourself on the goal sheet, do your knee slide, you know, whatever you want to do. He makes his run from the halfway halfway line, holds it nicely. By the way, from the right, playing as, I guess, the Saka backup, essentially, which he may also have to be this season. Shaka goes like pure Pirlo and <laughs> megs a guy, holds the ball, <laughs> plays it beautifully through the lines and, and on to Martinelli, who races onto it and has the presence of mind to wait for Nketiah to arrive, slides it to him, and Nketiah gets the tap in. He's a player who's had a great preseason. I think that moment speaks a lot about his intelligence, his composure, and, and his place in the team. And I, I'm curious what you thought of that moment and his performance generally in the context of the what I think is a very good preseason that he's having. Yeah, so typical Elliot style. If you've spoken about Martin Elliot, I'll probably have to broaden the conversation to how our forwards looked, right? So, um, no, so no, I, I want you to specifically, I'll give you five minutes of praising Martinelli, and that's it. It's all you can have. <laughs> I'm not debating. So, <laughs> so what, again, a couple of things that are different from the weekend. I felt last year that, you know, I spoke about us playing almost like a diamond, and Lacazette was at the tip of the diamond. And we had two wingers that I felt were too long on the extremities of the team, right? So we had a lot of burden on those wingers. And sometimes we didn't have, we only had one winger because Smith Rowe played on the other side. I see him as a creative inside forward, if you see what I mean. So he's not even a winger. So no wonder we didn't score a lot of goals. And what Jesus has done, he's almost like the, um, <laughs> he's almost like some form of honey trap. He's bringing people close to him, right? He's bringing people close to him. And he's basically, Everyone wants to be near him. So we, we start off wide and then we come inside and we pop the ball off and, and we, and we want to combine with him. And so I looked at our three forwards at the weekend and I thought there were three forwards. I didn't think they were two wingers. I thought we've now got three forwards and this has transformed Martinelli's game. Because he's now a forward again. He's playing centre forward. He's playing slightly more inside, outside when he needs to be, but inside when he needs to be. And so this now suits him a lot. Same with Saka as well. And it got me thinking about the next phase, what we need to do and uh, what we need to add. And we spoke about the reaction, but everyone's thinking we need another winger. Well, I'm thinking we need another winger. And everyone's thinking, okay, we've got Martin Innsbruck on the left. And so we need... Someone to be like Saka on the on the right. We looked at Rafinha, fifty mil. What what are you gonna do with Saka? Blah blah. blah. We have these debates in our minds, right? But after seeing this game in my own eyes, 
I think we need another wing forward that plays like these guys. That's fast, intense, can be happy wide, be happy central. It doesn't matter if he's a righty or a lefty. It doesn't matter. And I, and I thought it was quite significant that he moved Martinelli to the right to allow Pepe to play from the left. Guess which one he's investing in. He's not having Pepe in his best position. He's saying, mate, I'm going to give you a few minutes, but really I'm looking at how Martinelli does on the right. What does he do? Set up a goal. I, mean, I know it's slightly transition football, but he set up a goal. And I think he was looking at it. So it would not surprise me if we add a righty that may be happier from the left that can play centre forward to add to this group, knowing that Martinelli can backfill for Saka on the right. And then we can rest Martinelli with somebody that's really good on the left that offers the same dynamics. And this is key, the dynamics. Smith-Rowe is a different player. He's not a dynamic sprinter as Martinelli is. He's not an energetic presser. He's a pocket picker. He's a last-touch merchant in the box, scores goals, arriving late. That's what he does. Carries, turns around, pops it off, creates, scores. High-output player. He's not a he's not a sustained sprinting presser. He's not a he's not going to do runs off the ball in behind. He's not going to really hold a touchline, bring the ball out of the sky like Martinelli does. He can do it, but you see where I'm going at it. His strengths are not that way inclined. So that's what I see coming in. I thought that was one of the most interesting takeaways for me. And the second thing is that I will say this: that I thought Martinelli and Saka just looked. I know it sounds crazy. I say some things that are really obvious sometimes, but they look older and just more manly. And I'm going to correct uh, you. They literally <laughs> are. Older. I know. I, I, I lay that one up for you. But, you, but the people who are listening, hopefully, you know what I mean. In case anyone yeah. watching can't tell. They just look more like men. And they were, there was one time Martin only went for a shoulder charge with somebody and he waited for him and he smashed him with his shoulder. That means you're feeling physically confident. You're growing up. You're yeah. feeling confident in your environment. And I'm thinking, yeah, this is good. So suddenly, we start, I will be honest with you, in the last season, I was worried about Martinelli. I was worried about his output. I thought he looked young. I thought he looked callow, like a lot of our team did. And I'm thinking, we need to give him some support and you know, to make sure that we can add to this group. After watching the weekend, I'm thinking, gee whiz, mate. If, I wish hope these guys can play every single game. You know, they won't. But I think they've grown up significantly. You may only think it's two, three months, but it, it, they've, something's clicked. Is it Jesus? Is it just natural maturity, natural physical maturity and mental maturity? Probably all of the above. But yeah, we've got a player there, mate. And I know he's your boy, but we've got a player. Yeah. I mean, and, and look, do I like the player a lot? Yes. Do I think I have the capability to analyze him accurately? I'd, I'd like to think I do. I, you know, I mean, I, I would like to see him succeed. I can't imagine there's anybody who wouldn't like to see him succeed. He does wear the Arsenal shirt after all. But like, he's at an age now where it's time to go from potential to realization. He's away from that injury. He's he's clearly looks like a starter for right now. And, you know, there are a couple of positions, Tim. Let, let's pick up on this just for a second before we go to the defense. There are a couple of positions where I think Injury absences this summer, to the extent they can ever be a benefit, may have been. I think Smithrow not being available has meant that Martinelli has played a lot more than he might have in the preseason, and he's really locked in on that left-hand side. And as much as we love Smithrow, and we do, it's given a chance for Martinelli, I think, to really make that his position and look comfortable there. 
it's not a rotating two of who's going to start today. I think it's going to be his position. Smith Rowe and Vieira not being available, while it disappoints me, may have benefited Shaka. Because I think that there is an open debate about who would play that left eight. Uh, Arteta himself referenced Smith Rowe and Vieira as options there. And Sambi Lakanga, by the way, um, who we've seen play there a bit. But by virtue of no Smith Rowe and no Vieira being available in preseason, Shaka has played in that position a lot. And let's be clear, played brilliantly. Now, I am less inclined. So sometimes in preseason, I'm willing to see a lot of things that matter. Sometimes I'm less inclined. If a player's in his 30s and we've had him five, six seasons, I'm less inclined to think, okay, suddenly we've got a totally new player. But he certainly does look like he's added some clubs to his bag, to use a golf analogy as someone who hasn't golfed in a couple of years. Um, and I wonder if you agree that some of the absences actually, you know, the absence of Smithrow, the absence of Vieira, not just for Martinelli, but maybe for Shaka also, has given them some room to just play a little bit more in the position where they're going to be needed and look more assured, more, more contributory in those positions. Yeah, definitely. And you were talking about the left side earlier. You know, we kind of sorted the right side last summer. Tomiyasu came in, Ben White came in, yep. um, Erdegaard came in as well. He's very much over towards the right. So we, we kind of, uh, you know, sorted that bit. And, and now it's more the left side. And, you know, the questions have been, can we upgrade on Xhaka? Can Tierney be fit? Um, enough and we had that competition between Smithrow and Martinelli so we are you know good options there but not the same kind of level of automatisms I guess whereas now you know and we've had a couple of games to get Zinchenko in there to have Xhaka form those relationships with Zinchenko and Martinelli um, on that left-hand side as well. Um, I know you said we'll come on to the defence in a minute, but Tommy Asu being out, we've been able to say, right, Ben White's going to start right back on Friday night, right? We know that Saliba's going to start in central midfield. That's what's happened in the last two games. Uh, sorry, central defence. So, mm-hmm. you know, it has offered some clarity and it has offered a chance for some of those networks. But the other thing it does as well, and, and that's probably why Xhaka looks better, um, you know, because there's been improvement there and and the other thing that does is it just creates competition because the guys who haven't been playing, you know, Smith Rowe, Vieira, Tierney, probably sitting there thinking, "Fuck, am I going to get into this team even when I'm fit?" Like, I mean, probably like someone like Fabio Vieira, it's it's slightly different. It's more like, okay, I have to ease myself into this squad, into this league, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I don't think he would have been expecting to start at Selhurst Park when he signed, for example. But someone like Tierney must be looking, thinking, "Oh." shit, man, I've got to get back into this team. I've got to start playing again. I've got to start showing who I am. Ditto Smith-Rowe thinking, ah, shit, like how am I going to get back in? And once those guys are fit again, that then offers pressure. Um, And and I'm sure like those players who are in there feel pressure anyway. But yeah, once Vieira's fit again, Jack has got to think, I've got to keep keep showing I can play here. Martinelli, when Smith-Rowe comes back, I don't want to be rotating with Smith Rowe anymore. I want to. I want to. I want to be like Saka. I want to be playing the majority of the minutes, you know. And so, and Ditto Tierney, like Tierney. I mean, Tierney's problems have been fitness, solely fitness, since yeah. he came to Arsenal. He's got another problem now, which is <laughs> I've actually got competition for my place for the first time. So even if I'm fit. I'm not a guaranteed starter anymore. So I've got a fight. I've got to show that like I belong in this team again. And for Xhaka, like Zinchenko's still there, obviously because Tierney's, you know, they're easing Tierney back in at the moment. But once Tierney's back there, 
then Jack has got more competition for his spot because Zinchenko's there. And it's just, again, none of this is complicated stuff. It's competition and the way they're playing at the moment. And someone like Cedric, you know, again, Cedric's known since the moment he came into the club that, you know, he's uh, basically a squad player, a backup player. That doesn't necessarily mean he wants to be that. You know, he was playing a lot of football from January onwards and all of a sudden he's looking and thinking, shit, Saliba's come in. That's my place gone. I used to be the second choice. I'm the third choice now at this moment in time. I'm being shown that when Tommy Asu is not available, Ben White goes to right back, Saliba comes in. I'm like, I'm in danger of not getting any minutes at all in the Premier League here at the moment unless there are two injuries. I've got to buck my ideas up. I've got to up my game. And it's just... It's just introduced like different layers, different levels, and obviously we will need all of these players at some yes. point. Yes, but we did we didn't have those layers last season, so we had to put Tommy Asu out when he was about thirty percent fit, and we had to play Cedric at left back and things like that. And you know, to your point, Xhaka at the moment he's in there, he's got the shirt still at the moment, but he knows it's not a guarantee. He knows there are players buzzing around who, by the way, can play a couple of different positions who can come in for him. If if he's not showing it, this is and this is where I think having Europa League is really important because last season we lost some of the players who were in that situation. In that situation, we just lost them because the Premier League is not a place for experimenting. It's not a place for sympathy or you know trying to keep people involved. You, you try to do it if you can, but it's for picking up as many points as you can. The Community Shield, not Community Shield, the the uh, League Cup. With all due respect to it. You know, it's not a real competition early on. Um, and and the Europa League gives you a chance to give real competition and real minutes that do matter to these players that keep them in the group, not just emotionally, but physically. Um, and I, I will say this, Clive, just as a thought, it's weird because we're talking about right-back availability and left-back availability and center-back versatility and left-wing and left-eight and, you know, all of this stuff – and there's one guy right there in the middle of the pitch playing absolutely out of his skin that there does not seem to be any backup for. I mean, I genuinely believe if Thomas Party was not available that we would potentially change the system. Uh, maybe not. Maybe Zinchenko would play it. I, by the way, speaking of Zinchenko, we haven't seen much of him yet, but there was one moment you probably saw. Well, I'm sure you must have heard it. He played a cross-field ball in the run to Saka, a big switch, that got ooze from the... Like it, it, not not the kind of ooze where it's like, um, you know, playfully, just like people literally gasped at it. He he's he's got a lot in his locker, and we're going to see more from him. But how do you how do you feel about that that one particular fulcrum and maybe vulnerability? Like if we're a Death Star, that's our torpedo tubes or whatever the thing was called. I can't remember the. Anybody remember what the, the vulnerability in the Death Star was? I'm sure. Again, listeners, when I couldn't come up with Cyclops, when I couldn't come up with Minority Report, I'm sure you were screaming it. You can scream it now. Um, it's like an exhaust port or something. Anyway, the Death Star, the vulnerability in our Death Star could be the Thomas Party, um, the absence of a Thomas Party like-for-like type player in there because he's playing so well and we don't really have one. No, we put a lot of responsibility on party offensively and defensively. I mean, he's so good yeah. on the ball. Some of his disguised passes were amazing at the weekend. And so, yeah, we can't repeat, we can't replace that. So, again, another way I'm sort of maturing my thinking is, well, well don't, don't try to. Right? Just have somebody that plays that pivot, understands the responsibilities, but then you find other ways to exit, right? So you're, you're, 
pattern of play is just slightly different. You drop Odegaard in a little bit more to receive the ball. And there's a player that, sort of, for all the, the joy I had at the weekend watching the football, there's one player that I, I don't know yet in Vieira. I'm not sure what he is. You know, so when I first saw the YouTube, I thought, oh, he just reminds me of Phil Foden. And some people say, oh, no, no, he reminds me of um, Bernardo Silva. And some people say, oh, no, he's more De Bruyne. I'm just looking at his player thinking, I wonder what he's going to add to all our thinking, tactically. Where are we going to deploy him? Is he going to be a player that plays slightly deeper in midfield on occasion? Because I couldn't help but see at the weekend, despite how well Graham Shaka played, a lot of the time he's receiving the ball high up the pitch with his back to goal. And then the next thing he does is, you know, best he can do. He, he lays it off quite simply, quite, you know, obviously. But when you're a good player, like a really good technical player that's got wonderful sweet feet, like a Martin Odegaard, when you receive the ball back to goal, you don't really make sure you receive it back to goal. You receive it on a half term. You make sure you do a couple of moves that unsettles and unbalances the defender. And you get it out of your feet really quickly, two timed runs. If we can get somebody else doing that on the other side, then people have got real problems. Real problems. Because Martin Lee and Jesus are not standing still for anybody. Right, so is that Fabio Vieira? Right, will that change things? Will that change the necessity for having an all-action Thomas Party there? We might need a little bit less on that player. Somebody just a little bit more defensively aware. I do think the options are are endless, Elliot, at the moment, and to be revealed. You know, to be revealed. I don't know enough about Vieira to really say what we need or don't need. I saw the instant reaction. I could really see how Paqueta could fit into his team. I could see it immediately from based on Saturday. But I'm saying that without seeing Vieira. Do you see what I mean? And I may be misreading how we're going to use him. Is he going to be an Odegaard replacement? Is he going to sometimes play wide right and be a creative like Smith Rowe is creative on the left? You know, so there's so many options available there, I think, to be defined. But I'm not overly concerned about the midfield. Even at this moment in time, although if we lose a couple, everyone knows we'd like one. But I'm more concerned about keeping the front three dynamics as we saw it at the weekend, knowing those three can't play every game. And I don't want to be yeah. doom and gloom merchant, but even one injury of those three, we'll all be mortified right now. We'd all be mortified. That's the truth of it. And so we need to make sure we have one more player in the uh, top end of the pitch. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, and, and ultimately, and I've said this so many times that people are probably bored of hearing it, but to be fair, what am I going to say that you're not already bored of hearing, right? So I think it's of a piece with everything else. Um, I I just do think that there are players in teams that are linchpins that the team can't directly replace if they're absent. And even Liverpool and City, as good as they are, have those players. Liverpool are not the same team without Virgil van Dijk. And the idea that you can have a Virgil van Dijk replacement is silly. Um, you can't. Right, um, those great Barcelona teams, uh, you know, of, of years gone by with Pep. You take Lionel Messi out of them; they're not the same team. Now, Thomas Party's not Lionel Messi. I get it, but like every team has, no matter how good, has players that if they're absent for a substantial period of time, there's going to be a decrease in the performances. It's just that easy. Um, so I think you have to deal with that. Look, Josh Kroenke famously said that we should be excited. He said, I would say be excited. And I would say be excited. 
Like, we can debate what's still needed and the little tweaks that are needed, but this house is built. Does it need new window treatments? Does it need new hardwoods? Maybe. But the house is built, and it's a nice one, and I want to live in it for the next 10 months or so. And I would say be excited because it looks great. So I do want to get on to the defense, and I want to look ahead to Palace a little bit, but <coughs> I want to choke to death just a little bit. I'm not going to edit that out, by the way. I think it's important for you to know that I'm a human being who does occasionally cough. Um, by the way, also on uh, who knows what time zone at this point. Really, really good sign when your kids are waking up at 4.30 in the morning that the jet lag is going to be a problem for days and days to come. Part of a new season is rebirth. It's getting rid of the old, getting rid of all that old, gross, grimy thoughts from the last season that held you back, and, and embracing a new, fresh season. One way you could do that is symbolically by shaving off the hair on your privates. I mean, that, that is an option. You may choose a different path, but I think it's the right path to go. I spent three weeks in Portugal, never had to charge my lawnmower 4.0. It is the best purpose-built groomer I've ever used. And this is the fact. If you are grooming your privates at all, odds are you're doing it with either a really crappy trimmer that isn't wet-dry, by the way, which means you're doing it not in the shower, which means I don't want to know where the clippings are going, um, probably the bottom of your feet or the top of your feet, and you look like a hobbit. Um, oh, this is so gross. Uh, or you're using like a, a, an old, old razor in the shower, and like that is a recipe for disaster. The Lawnmower 4.0, long battery life, as I just indicated, wet, dry, a nice LED light so you can see what you're doing, right? So you don't wind up with sideburns if that's not the look you're going for. Um, it's designed to work on loose skin. They call it skin-safe technology, and it has ceramic blades, so it's just really a beautifully crafted device, but their performance package 4.0 also comes with the weed whacker for ear and nose hair. Um, nose hair is one of those things that like, especially if you, if you have a beard or you carry any facial hair, like you gotta be real careful because the hair coming out of your nose is not facial hair. It's hair inside your face. It's not, it's not supposed to be on your face. Just a thought. Um, so there's that. You have the shed travel bag as a gift, the boxers as a gift, which I love. I wore the boxers for the flight home because I find for uh, long, uncomfortable situations, they are quite comfortable. You will get 20% off and free shipping with code uh, ArsenalVision. That's the one. Use code ArsenalVision at manscaped.com. Promo code ArsenalVision. Save 20% and free shipping. Go there now. And I have to read this because it says it in the copy and it says must read. Required. It's time to level up from the Amazon to the Amadong with the ultimate bushwhacking tools from Manscaped. I am sorry. I don't like reading that any more than you like hearing that, but it make me do it. And this morning I am home. I get up. Got to do the podcast. Got a whole day of work ahead of me. How do I start my day? with AG1 from Athletic Greens. How do I start my day every day in Portugal? With the travel packs from AG1, which you're going to get with this package, by the way. AG1 is fantastic. Look, just give it a try. Try it. See what you think. Because like so many of us are trying A vitamin or we take vitamin C or we have a gummy because it tastes good and it's covered in sugar, but what's it actually doing? This is 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. All of that in one vanilla flavored kind of drink. You mix it with water, so you're getting water, which by the way, we should all be drinking more water anyway, <clears throat> right? Tastes good, easy to do, a habit that I found no problem getting into. And some of the things I notice, um, alertness and energy, really good for that. And with two young kids, I need it. Great for gut health. I have had digestive issues and it has been really helpful for that. I talk about way too many gross personal things on this podcast. And I'm sorry. <clears throat> now, it is also lifestyle friendly. So whether we keto, paleo, vegan, daily free, gluten free, you got it. 
it works for that. Okay, it's less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, artificial anything, less than the price of an expensive cup of coffee per day, over 7,000 five-star reviews, um, and recommended by professional athletes. It's got uh, a small microhabitat, so it's something you can, you know, it, it, it's a it's a natural way to provide the things that your body knows how to use and can use. And oh, by the way, they're a philanthropic-minded organization as well. So to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D, right? And especially with winter, not here yet, but when it gets here, a lot of us need that extra vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash vision. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash vision to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Clive, is that enough of that? Indeed. Thank you. They should, even if they don't sponsor the podcast, Indeed should have to pay us for the Indeed. <laughs> I had a patron say, you need to change your edit point. I don't even want to hear Clive say Indeed. That's, I'm telling you, if you don't want to hear this stuff over on Patreon, you get the ad-free episodes. Now, I do have some patrons that say, is there a way that I can put the, the one with the ads in the, into the Patreon feed so they can hear the ridiculous segues? You know, you cannot make all the people happy all the time unless you are Arsenal and you win 38 games 5-0, which is almost uh, surely what we're going to do. And Clive, the reason we're going to do that is we're, we're going to have a nil on the end of that five. And the way you have a nil is you have a good defense. And I put a Twitter poll out. I said, you know, it's late August. We're playing well. Tomiyasu and Tierney are fit. Who's our back four? And the number one selection was this back four. Now, I kind of get that, right? Because if they're playing well, they shouldn't lose their place. The number two selection, interesting, was Tomiyasu, Saliba, Gabriel, Zinchenko. I mean, the new guy's always the most popular guy. Tim says that the new guy always wins player of the month in August, right? Like, And to be fair, there's a few options for that. I think it's probably going to be Gabriel Jesus. But if it wasn't Gabriel Jesus... It could very well be Saliba. People love him. He has been embraced. There were the Saliba wars. They were ugly. They were internecine, but now they are over and we are all enjoying him. I am curious how you think about this back four, not just as it is currently constructed, but as it may be constructed throughout the season because Tierney and Tomiyasu have been out a long, long time. They're going to need time to get match fit. Maybe Tomiyasu more than Tierney when he is fit. Like I think it'd be very, very harsh if he didn't get his place back because he was one of our players of last season. Then what do you do with a Saliba who looks, I think, transformative in that role at center back, but it is preseason and we haven't been under a lot of pressure. How do you think about that back four, where it is now and where it will shape up to? Oh, it, was, it was hard not to like it, mate, on the weekend. There are still people in the ground sort of picking on Ben White a bit because they're thinking, they're getting their picks in early because if Tommy Asa comes back, they want to make sure that Saliba plays because Saliba can do no wrong by anybody. He's, just, he's a cult hero already. If he signs a contract, that's going to be a huge day on Instagram. <laughs> it's going to be a huge day. I think um, if he signs a contract, gets number two, watch out, mate. Twitter might break. You know, so um, I, so he doesn't have a, a number on on the Arsenal he, website. I, I thought I heard someone say. Yeah, I'm not sure if he's twelve. I'm not sure if you can buy him as a twelve. I'm not sure, but we well, all know it's going to happen. Yeah, I think they're waiting for the number two to open yeah, up. I think yeah. that's what it is. Mm-hmm. They're waiting. We're all waiting for that to happen. There'll be a few exits next couple of weeks and a few being planned even today as I speak. So, um, so yeah, the back four looked really, really good. Um, and Ben White really, really grabbed that role. And he did a lovely switch of play earlier in the, in the game. He's very ferocious on the front foot, which he, ha- which he is as a centre-back. And Gabriel's your back foot defender in that relationship, although he can attack the ball also. But when Gabriel attacks the ball, I think that's when he's at his weakest. 
So having people ahead that are really front-footed means Gabriel can do more of the things that I think he's good at, which is sweeping up and cleaning up behind a left-back that actually is not very quick, by the way, and could cause a problem on the back. On, you know, if people want to diag over his head, Chinchenko. So that's one issue there. Uh, why I haven't got a problem, apart from when he's right on the touchline, I think he allows Jules to develop around him, but that's no problem. And I do think Saliba is very much a come on in, try beat me defender. Really has got that aura about him, and it, and it, I think we've we've lacked that type of player. Um, if you think back to Crystal Palace last year, I think they played with a guy up front called Mateta. He's a centre forward, six foot one hundred, monster of a forward, and I thought he got into us a little bit in that game. I want to see how we do against him at the weekend. And I'm putting myself out there, but I don't care. Because that's a good mm. judgment. It's a good judgment. He's going to look at them too and think, which one do I pick on? Which one? Where do I go? Right? Because um, they're as big as me, as fast as me. Where do I go? So that gives us a level of presence, which I think is really, really good. And White's presence is equally good, slightly higher up. Um, Saliba, just a little bit of detail earlier. I think... Um, there was one header he jumped in for in the centre circle where he got off the ground to a ball that he was never going to win. No drama, nothing happened on the back of it. But I thought, okay, it's one to watch. Your first ball of the first long ball exit, your ability in the air. Uh, let's have a look at that. He definitely has improved over his loan period on heading out crosses, which is good because he couldn't do that when he went abroad. He could not do that. He, he was in the box, he was literally was like a turtle you know his head was disappearing right so um so that's that's he's definitely improved that so one to watch there but when you go down the sides with him it's over his positioning is superb his running lines are superb his distances are superb he can tackle with his weak foot he he doesn't allow people to cut back and side him to show him his number he shows you into areas where you've got no chance and he just looms over you and he just makes everybody feel better. So until he makes a mistake, he cannot come out. Uh, and that's it, right? So, and Ben White played like a player that says, I better get used to his position. <laughs> I could be here for quite a while. And um, and he did really well with it. So um, in my opinion, some may disagree, but I thought he did really well. So um, yeah, I would go this back four. And until we don't, and the season will change. Our favorites will change. It's, just, it's natural, it happens. It just happens, but this first eleven does look very, very good for a game of Crystal Palace away. We look really balanced, physically, technically, really balanced and very energetic. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, <clears throat> and is this one of those cases, Tim, where just don't be precious about it? Let's not fall back into our camps of, I'm a Ben White fan, so he should be the starter. I've always lobbied that Saliba's better than Ben White, actually, and we should have had him last season, so I want him. Or like, Tommy Asu. Like, we have good players in these positions. Kieran Tierney is not a bad player all of a sudden. Neither is Tommy Asu. They're going to need time to get fit. Is Saliba better than Ben White? Let's pump the brakes on making that assessment. What's important is, these are good players with a lot of varied traits. Zinchenko is not the same player as Tierney. Ben White is not the same player as Saliba. You know, the irony is Gabriel's not a perfect player, but he's the one I don't know if we have an analog for what he does necessarily in terms of whether he would rotate out. Would it then be Saliba that moves there? Would it be White and Saliba? You know, how how would you look at that? So how dare you forget Pablo Mari? Uh, isn't he gone? <laughs> not, not officially yet, no. No. All right, well, I'll, I'll, leave, it, I'll leave it for Paul to, to <laughs> sing his praises. Um so, yeah, so how, how do you think about that? And, and I mean, I feel great about this back four to start this season, but I also think it's it's 
silly to pretend that we're going to be using this back four for 38 games. I mean, even just from, even if they're the perfect back four, fitness dictates that they probably won't play 38 games. So how do you think about not falling into these camps of favorites and appreciating the qualities of all of these players? Because, you know, like Saliba, I think he's the best passer of the group, well, of the center back group, day one. He can't carry the ball quite like White. You know, Gabriel might be the best pure defender. They all have different traits. Yeah, 100%. Again, we're talking about the back four here. You know, that that Ben White right back, Saliba, Gabriel, Zinchenko, Tierney, Tomiyasu, not around. You know, last season, first choice picks. Even Tomiyasu must be looking at this at the moment and thinking, if this back four starts well in the season if we get if, if Tommy Asu comes back and we you know look I'm massively going over my ski tips here and projecting but if we win our first three games of that back four and Tommy Asu's fit he's not getting picked for the fourth game like that will keep that will that will stay the back four until such time that there's an injury or it's you know until it works until it doesn't like it's entirely foreseeable that 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 back four could really, really work. And Arteta might think, hmm, maybe I've stumbled across something here. Maybe this is the answer. Maybe Ben White's a right back in this. And maybe Saliba's my centre-back. And, you know, again, some some players who just a few weeks ago were absolute, you know, even if you're 70% fit, you're in the team. It's not the case anymore. And so all of those players are fighting and Saliba's fighting and, you know, there's no, but you're, you're right. I think Gabriel is probably the only one. I'm not saying he feels sure of his place because obviously Saliba's there and it's, well, yeah, it could be Ben White. But, but you're right. There isn't a direct analogue um, for Gabriel at the moment. But the other three, you know, there's five players that can come into there. Absolutely no problem at all. And again, that, that gives you options. That gives you, you know, uh, and we can get them all minutes in the Europa League as well. And that's not going to be a, like a massive drop in quality um, to the Europa League either. Um, all of a sudden, we've gone from Cedric and Tavares as our as our backup fullbacks to, to Ben White. And who is the backup left back? Is it Zinchenko, Tierney? Don't know at the moment. So all of a sudden, we've got probably six starting 11 ready players, uh, six, maybe seven, starting 11 ready players for those back four positions. And it's not, oh, we've got to play Cedric again, or uh, we've got to hope that Tavares has like one of his good days and not one of his bad days. And and yeah, it's just, and look, all of this is, is just like a triumph of investment, right? It's because we've paid big money. We've paid 27 million for Saliba, 50 million for Ben White, you know, these Zinchenko, 35 million, like none of this, none of this was given to us. None of it, it's not, again, I'm not having a go at Arteta here. It's not like a triumph of coaching i'm sure he wouldn't claim it as such either it's it's investment it's just you know starting to spend your money well um i guess and and maybe it's too early to say that emphatically but it kind of looks that way at the moment so all of a sudden you've got options um back there which which we didn't have like last season the back four was the back four was the back four basically mari you know mari didn't work out and you're right that's that's probably the one kind of um weak spot there but the rest 
you know, it's it's looking mu- it's looking much more positive. And also, you know, the point Clive makes often about like blockers and things. I haven't even mentioned Rob Holding there, by the way. Um, but about blockers, you know, we move Callum Chambers out, and yeah, that looked like a bit of a weird transfer insofar as giving him away for free. Um, I know he only had six months on his contract, but that still looked a bit weird, not getting anything from Villa. But he's moved out of the way. Saliba's in. You know, uh, and you start you start to see you start to make room um, for some of these guys who who hopefully are part of Arsenal's future. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's right. And like, look, <coughs> it's inevitable. One of these players will make a mistake. Other players, uh, uh, fans will jump on it because they like another player better. That's just football. That's just going to happen. People have their favorites, right? I mean, and it'll happen all over the pitch. I mean, if. If Shaka fails to spot a run, someone will say it should be Smithrow playing left eight, or if Martinelli doesn't finish an easy chance, it should be Smithrow playing, or we should have bought a left wing, or if you know if Zinchenko gets roasted, oh, I thought Tierney was a terrible player. Look, I I wish that wasn't how our discourse developed, but that is what we do. I'm not going to pretend I've never participated in it. Um, you know, because I invented it. I wrote a book. I said, here is how you score points in an argument about football. Uh, please buy my book on Amazon. It's called How to Make Everyone Hate You. Uh, no. I, look, it's it's just one of those things. And and, and I, I, I think the good news is, Clive, here we are starting the season missing two players that a few weeks ago would have been regarded as first choice. And everybody likes the options so much so that they're not sure the other guys should be first choice when they come back. You can't script it much better than that. Um, you touched on the Palace game a little bit, but let's just wrap up this conversation looking to the season because we are going to do a season preview pod. You're going to have the pod coming up uh, tomorrow morning on the Lionesses winning the Euros, which is great. But I, I think the Palace game is interesting because we've looked great in preseason, but we've also looked like the team that can really take it to other teams physically. That's been a big part of how we've done it. We've gone impressed and they couldn't match us. I mean, Tuchel talked about how we had the intensity they lacked. Palace ate our lunch the last time we played them just by being more intense and physical than we were in the middle of the park. We couldn't live with it. They got the ball off us and they created chance after chance that way. And really it was just for a half to be fair because I thought we grew into the game a little bit in that second half, but it was too late. This is a really interesting first game because we'll be in a very hostile environment, opening the season up in front of the whole country, having crowed about our fantastic preseason. And right off the bat, there's Patrick Vieira, you know, and his very physical, very athletic palace side. And I'm wondering how you think about this because in a way I think it's, it's almost a worst first game for us in a sense because it's a game where we may be the least able to impose the philosophies or the approaches that have worked for us in preseason. There will be a lot of games where they work this is a team that's going to come right back at us with that physicality and intensity in a way that that will challenge us. So how do you feel about that particular aspect of the game, the, the sort of physical intensity component where they really, really hurt us in in the, the game the last time we played them? Yeah, so many aspects of this game. And just briefly what you talked about before, I will say we have to start looking at football side differently now about not less so positions, more roles, responsibilities. And, and so if I looked at the game at the weekend – I'm looking at Gabriel and I'm thinking, okay, if he doesn't play, what are we going to do? We need to invest in a left-footed centre-back that's fast, can play in the halfway line. So there are roles 
which we can't repeat if we lose a couple of centre-backs. So obviously Sleeper's here now, so Sleeper and White can do it up to a point. But we've not seen that combination together. So a left-footed centre-back and playing a half-foot line is, is important. The Shaka role could be invested in technically, but he can still work in the system that we have today. And to flip on to Palace, um, what we didn't have last year was intensity up front. We didn't have that sustained intensity. Lacazette played, he was going through a period where he was carrying a rucksack on his back. He, we, we did not have energy. They had energy in Conor Gallagher playing as a pressing 10 and they pressed us into our, into our box and we weren't very good and they, and they worked off pieces. What we also had, we had Gabriel back from having a child or being part of just being a new father, sorry. And we had Nuno playing and I thought the two of them were not good in that first half. They, they unsettled each other, they didn't communicate well. And they picked on that side a little bit and picked our pockets, right? So what we have now is complete assurance on the ball. So Palace are not going to get encouraged by cheap turnovers. So we've got far more control within our team, far more presence of physicality in our centre-backs, in our back four and back three particularly. We've got three centre-backs there that are quick, comfortable, and that can go up against you and don't mind the challenge. In the middle of midfield, we've got the intent, we've got the technical ability of Sinchenko, who's going to obviously play one up. We've got We've got Pai, we've got Odegaard, all on top form. But also when we lose the ball, when they have the ball, Palace, they better, they better move it quickly because the front three are on it. They are on it. And I, this is my big thing. We we have to be able to repeat that. And I don't see that in the squad. Eddie can do it up to a point with one more. So much like you were saying, we got six players for four positions at the back. We need five for three, five sprinters for three positions up front. Yeah. At the moment, we've got, we've got four. You know, so we need to get one more in there. So we can sustain the dynamics both defensively and offensively. And I think I'm really looking forward to this game. I'm not worried about Palace. Uh, not because I don't respect them, because I really do. And I respect the manager and he's a smart guy. But I think it's the perfect first game. Because this is like, okay, how much do we trust Arsenal? I just read Roy Keane said, I don't trust Arsenal for his top four. That trusting... We all feel it in the pit of our stomachs. We want to get excited, but we don't quite trust them yet because we've still got Palace, Newcastle in our minds and Spurs. And this is a game. If we do knock this one out of the park, I'm telling you, mate, it's going to be big because the next games look very winnable, should we say. But this first one is the one. Never has a first game been more important for me to build the trust between us and the fan base. We're ready. We've got no excuses. We're fit. We're prepared. We've invested in the first-team squad over pre-season. We've done everything right. So we need to go and do it on the pitch. And to quote <laughs> to quote Leah Williamson, stop talking and start doing it on the pitch. We gotta do it on the pitch. That's what you gotta do. You gotta do it on the pitch. Stop talking and start doing it. There's too much chatter around this. And if I'm giving the team talk to players, start doing it on the pitch. You've got everything you've been given to, you're well coached, you're well structured, start doing it, start executing. I think it's time now to rid ourselves of this mistrust against teams that don't invest anywhere near as we do, that have anywhere near the fan base we have, that have anywhere near the, the support structures we have. It's time to start doing it on the pitch and stop being paralyzed with opportunity. Yeah, and I mean, this is the kind of game now, Tim, that the Premier League throws up that it just didn't used to, right? I mean, it used to be, hey, there were six or seven games a season that could go either way. Ah, you drop some stupid points, but by and large, the rest of the games were ones you're favored in. 
they can't match your talent, they can't match your athleticism, and you just go out and you let your better players beat the worst players. And that's that's just not the case right now. Um, you know, the fact is that this Palace team can beat us. We we you know we know that we've seen that. They have a, a, a great atmosphere at their ground. I mean, it, it's so funny. I'm curious how we wound up opening the season away to Brentford last season and opening the season away to Palace this season. Like this poor young team, right? COVID absences, nobody available, go to the newly promoted team that's never going to be up for a game as much as they're going to be up for that one, have a whole media and all the people there literally dancing with the home fans and singing their songs and make that team go and, and start their season there. And now, do it again the next season, right? Go start the season in front of the whole country on a Friday night away to Palace. It's, you know, it's unfortunate. And it's a game that to me, like, we can be as good as I think we are. We can be a top four contender as I think we are. Top four favorite. I'm not sure I'm ready to go there, but certainly right there, if not there. And still have this game be a really, really difficult one. If you had to pick out one or two critical components of this game, I would say, Tim, that for me, the Jesus thing is obvious, so I won't pick it. I will say that we had a Thomas party that did not look great against Palace last time. And they really dominated that area of the pitch. And the way he looks right now can be a difference for us in a big, big way. The Jesus thing, again, obvious. Um, but that that that's going to be one of the one of the big differences. Should he have played in the last game? I don't know. The game against Palace. But this game, you know, I don't see us having the same problems in midfield. I also think that the addition of Zinchenko, while he can get roasted defensively, is going to be critical here because I, I think we'll find it a little easier to play out from their press and get the ball into the attacking third where when we've gotten the ball into the attacking third against Palace, let's be clear, we've hurt them. I, you know, the, the home game where we had the Lacazette lead equalizer, that last 15 minutes and that first 15 minutes, when we had the ball in their defensive third, they looked like they could have conceded five, six, seven, eight. The key is to get around that ch that challenge in the middle of the park. I think we can do it. And once we do it, I actually think that they're pretty vulnerable at the back if you get past that. So that that's my my hope. What do you have one or two keys to victory here? Yeah, yeah. I and and I think a lot of that about uh, like you say was about what was going on around that area. So who are our fullbacks that night? Cedric got eaten alive by uh, Zaha um and Tavares as well who had you know, had a, a really poor game that night and ended up getting hooked at half time and we had to put Xhaka at left back and that took Xhaka out of midfield and, you know, it was it, it was a bad night for Arsenal. Um, but I, I agree with you putting hopefully, you know, Ben White and Zinchenko, two players much more comfortable on the ball, um, either side of him, um, you know, should should help us fare better. Hopefully Xhaka can stay in midfield for this game rather than having to go to left back. And look, in that game, that was about the first 20 minutes. We got eaten alive in the first 20 minutes. And that can happen in a game. And this is another thing I'm, I'm quite keen to see how we develop here this season. I, you know, I thought what Paul said about Jesus, about his value will be on those days when we're not playing well and it's not going right and it's nil-nil. The other thing I want to see, can we hang in there for those 20 minutes when perhaps, yeah, we're away from home? first night of the season they're on to us like Brentford were exactly like Brentford were a year ago can we hang in there can like can we compete um and you know just find a way to stay in the game um and and 
and we might have to do that on this occasion. I would say as well, again, to Clive's point, this, this fixture is a recent trauma for us. And I think this is a very, very good opportunity to put it to bed. And, and, you know, like Clive says, if we win this game, we can say, see, we're a totally different team to what we were in April. The other thing is Palace's pre-season hasn't been great. They went on tour and had to leave half their team behind. Um, I don't think they've quite had the same preparation as Arsenal. Again, um, I'm not taking anything for granted. I think they'll go out and try and do the same thing that they did in April that we couldn't deal with. And we're going to have to show... Um, you know where we've travelled as a team, but I definitely, I definitely think you're right. That's that's one point where, you know, uh, Party got injured in that game, and I'm I'm absolutely convinced if that doesn't happen, we do get top four. But it doesn't also change the fact that he had a bad night anyway up to that point. Whether he had fitness issues throughout that game, maybe he did. Um, but I, I I still think also that like the wide forward positions as well, like the the opportunity for rotation and things like that. Another part of the reason Palace were able to do what they were doing is because they were probably the first team, maybe the last half an hour of the Villa away game when we should have been out of sight and we weren't and Villa stepped onto us. The other thing Palace worked out is they could get that defensive line nice and high because, you know, there, there was no danger of the striker running in behind. That's not, that's not, the case anymore it shouldn't be so if Palace do that again and get that defensive line up and they try and get in you know I mean Gabriel Jesus doesn't really play like Lacazette so it's not as back to goal he can do that back to goal stuff but it's not as back to goal and and things like that but if they try and step onto us we've got threat in behind now so Palace are going to have to think about that a little bit and whether they temper what they do, whether they just go, nope, we're going to go and do the same thing. I'm I'm reasonably optimistic that Arsenal have the tools now to deal with that. And like you say, a lot of that is about the technical ability because, um, you know, again, it wasn't Lacazette's fault that we lost that game 3-0 because we barely got the ball to him and he had to keep dropping deep. I mean, he likes dropping deep, but he had to keep dropping deep in that game because we couldn't get the ball out. Um, but I, I'm reasonably optimistic that if you've got that threat in behind, Palace either have to drop off, or if they don't, you've got you've kind of got the tools to to go in behind them. I also think having Ben White a right back, you know, first of all, hopefully should be better one on one than Cedric was was with Zaha. But it also hopefully gives too. us well. <laughs> Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> but you saw like that first goal against Sevilla, Ben White, m- massive diagonal out to Jesus on the left. That's an avenue we've got. So if Palace put that defensive line nice and high, I really like the idea of having Ben White in that right back spot to just say, okay, I'm going over the top of you. Um, and if you've got those runners in behind, that becomes much more of an option as well. So um, really looking forward to another 3-0 defeat and absolutely nothing changing is my summary. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think you nailed it at the end. I would say be excited. That That's the key here. <clears throat> I think we should leave it there unless, Clive, you want to put a, a, a final coda on that, that no, lovely I thought, thought that Tim wrapped up. I with. thought Tim nailed that game beautifully. And I think if you do remember the Zahar, Cedric, and Cedric being ragdolled all around the pitch and they're, they're laughing at him, that that ferocity in that zone is really important. And, and Ben White will not be pushed around in that in that debate. And So, yeah, Tim's nailed that wonderfully I, I, I really want this game because I want to see now for what all the stuff we've seen in pre-season this is it right this is all in our minds we all know what happened we should be looking yeah. forward to this not fearing it I guess if you're going to have a hard game 
there's no better time to have it than after you've had a brilliant preseason where you're fully prepared and the opposition maybe hasn't. So that could break in our direction. <clears throat> I will say we haven't gotten to it yet. We'll get to it on a subsequent pod. But like the one area to look at is you look at our bench in these recent games. Not a lot there. Without Smithrow, you know, we don't know what Vieira is yet and he's not available. And no Tierney, no Tomiyasu. It's like Inkedia. You know, Pepe, who looks, let's say it, like a, a ghost, you know, like a guy who's who's ready for that move to happen any day now. I don't, I don't know if it's going to. I, I don't think it is at this point. But um, there's not a lot there to change the game. So that is one thing. It's Sambi Lakanga, you know, to the extent that he can change the game, I'm not so sure. But it's, it's Eddie and Kedia, and that's about it. So that's just something that we, you know, we could probably do with is just a little bit more <laughs> of an option on the bench. And Smith Rowe coming back will certainly help with that. So we'll see what happens. Okay, so Lioness talk tomorrow morning. Um, predictions coming Wednesday, Thursday. There'll obviously be patron <clears throat> content as well. And then instant reaction for the Palace game on Friday. Main pod will be on Monday and, and the whole thing kicks off and we're just so excited. I joke I would say be excited, but be excited. Let let this moment be a joy because the football season is something we all obviously love. You wouldn't be here if you didn't. And we love you for sharing it with us. And we hope that you will, um, you know, just soak it all up with us. Enjoy every last bit of it, whether it's here on the, the main feed, on the Patreon, both, neither, some of it, YouTube, wherever. Uh, we love you. Thank you for being here. And I cannot wait to enjoy another another chapter in the Arsenal book together. Tim's on Twitter, at Stoberto. Thank you very much, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. It's time, everybody. I can say it now. We love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Palace Nil. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance.
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. 